Hello and welcome to Coffee with Conservationists, the podcast where I sit down with anyone who dedicates their lives to protecting, researching and documenting nature. I talk to them about their work in a range of areas, such as wildlife conservation, ecology, human and wildlife coexistence and worldwide environmental issues. My coffee feature today is Old Spike Coffee. Find out more at the end of this episode. In today's episode, I cover a topic I've been wanting to talk about for a really long time. I talk with woodsman and deer manager Arthur Petherbridge about the ecological reasons for controlling deer populations in the UK, connecting to nature through the hunting of game and our lived experiences through a range of vegetarian, vegan and omnivorous diets. While this is a really important episode and there's a big hot topic in the world of UK nature conservation, something I really want to talk about on the podcast, even though it might be hard for me and some other listeners, I will put a content warning for mentions of animal death. If you don't want to listen to this episode, I really, really understand that. It's quite a hard-hitting one. Hi, Arthur. Welcome to the podcast, finally. Thanks for doing this. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Uh, We'll start off by getting to know you a bit. Could you give me a kind of rundown of who you are and... I guess, um, where your kind of interesting connection with the outdoors and nature first started? Yeah, for sure. I mean, as you said, yeah, my name's Arthur. Um, I I guess I, I, I originally, tra- I'm born and bred a Londoner. That's kind of my background. Um, but I, my heart was never really in the city. It's always been amongst the trees and in fields and mucking about and just being a bit of a kid um and i found my way somehow into tree work um through the streets of london into to being a tree tree surgeon and that's what i i did for 12 years recently i've become too old for that so now but that took me into into woodlands and into places that i'd never been before um and really gave me an education in in the natural world uh, that I hadn't had growing up in London. Uh, and it sort of set me along this path of, I don't, I don't want to say discovery, but for want of a better word, discovery. Um, and took me to different countries where I, where I traveled and met people that lived a far simpler way of life. and. And lived sort of more alongside nature as opposed to being separate with it, which is how I see our society. Um, we're sort of separate here as opposed to living alongside it or within it. Um, so I'm sort of ranting wildly, uh, which is what I tend to do. Uh, but so, yeah, my background was in tree work. Um, I now do a few things i have a business building studios because i'm too old to do tree work uh and then on on the other side of that uh from through forestry and my our background i now manage woodlands and deer which is kind of where you got which is why you got in touch with me Mm. because i'm a, a a deer manager as some people would call them or other people would call me um I sort of I'm on the control side of deer. Yeah. 
Uh, it depends who you speak to within the industry. Mm. But we can get onto that later. Um, and I live in Sussex, sunny Sussex, um, but love to travel and see myself as kind of very much a student of the outdoors um, and definitely not an expert in in anything I kind of feel like I'll never be an expert I'll always, I'll always be a student um, I have lots of uh, opinions uh, some of them probably wrong um, so I'll apologize for upsetting anybody or from the outset um, but I'm, I'm I, you know I, I come from everywhere I come from from everything I say is from a sort of compassionate background um, even though it could be controversial mm. yeah like no. I have to get that in there <laughs> before we move on what would you call yourself if people if some people call you like put, put titles onto you if you had to choose a label in how your relationship with deer works what would you call mm. yourself I think I'd just like to be seen as an outdoorsman mm. it's like it's the simplest it's, it doesn't really fit in modern society that that title doesn't really fit in modern society i don't think but if i could choose one it would be that yeah and um honestly with opinions i'm here to present an open view and this is a very important conversation that a lot of people often shy away from um especially i know a lot of my followers and listeners are um sort of have a more plant-based diet or mm-hmm. um are obviously lovers of the outdoors and wildlife as we both are as well and that's what something we'll again come on to later um so yeah just anything goes um it's I'm actually currently day. eating a carrot as i'm showing you now so hey i'm still semi-plant-based still semi-plant-based yeah <laughs> I, I will i think for some of my um maybe more sensitive listeners uh, who have put had experience in the past that they don't want to relive or anything like that i'll, I'll put like a trigger warning at the beginning yeah for of course kind of yeah. animal animal death and everything mm-hmm. um so the first big thing that a lot of people i guess don't really know or don't fully understand from a conservation standpoint and a land management standpoint why do we need to hunt deer in the uk why do why do our deer need to die or be controlled yeah i mean it's a great question and it's it's really never been more important now uh it's never it's never been sorry it's never been as important now uh because we're doing all these projects to to reforest and rewild and uh get get ancient grant grasslands back into a you know a diverse and uh, a healthy mixture um <clears throat> so that's kind of where people's minds should be is that we're as a as a society we're we're, we're trying to improve uh it, essentially improve nature improve what we have improve biodiversity and all those things and our wild deer population are absolutely part of that diverse beautiful uh important mixture so that's that needs to like premise the whole conversation is that Mm. it's not about not having them it's about with so many things it's about balance um 
So there's a, a, a couple of figures that I plucked out, which I thought might be interesting to some of your listeners, which is in the 70s, there were roughly about 450,000 deer in, in Great Britain. Mm. And uh, sorry, in, 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 in England. Uh, and today, there are roughly 2 million. So the population increase has been has been wild. It's been absolutely rampant, uh, and a, a lot of people don't realise that w- within that population, we we only actually have two native species, which are the roe deer and the red deer. Mm. All the others, the other four, are have been introduced or seen as some either naturalised like the fallow or invasive like the muntjac or the Chinese water deer. Um, and then though there are obviously other deer in park, in parklands, but they're not included. Not yet anyway, because they haven't, they haven't uh, escaped and naturalized or. Um, so we have a growing population of deer. Deer are really good at eating stuff. So that's the most simplistic way of looking at this situation is that we have loads of deer and they're already hungry and they all need to eat. And so they go into our woodlands and into our meadows and into our fields and they just basically strip areas of biodiversity. Deer don't have any predators in this country apart from cars if we went to um, cull them. And without without us culling deer the population would be so huge we would have incredible diverse biodiversity loss which we already have we 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 actually can't keep up with the this is this may sound insensitive but we can't we can't shoot enough deer to keep up with the rate that they breed mm. so we have we have a in, Every year we have a massively a massive increase in the deer population, certainly in the southeast, maybe not so much up in Scotland where you get harder winters and, and, other, and other contributing factors. But certainly down here in the south where life's pretty sweet, um, drought aside, uh, the population just booms. And so that's, that's basically, it's such a hard thing to argue against because... We, we we cannot we cannot have a sustainable woodland um, that we want to naturally regenerate. We want trees to naturally regenerate, and we want to have um, flowers and and sedge and, and other sort of woodland species like I don't know what you get um, wood sorrel, for example, which is a lovely plant, um, and all these ancient woodland indicators that you get. If you if you go to a woodland that's got a high deer impact, you don't have any of that. You just have aging, what's seen as an aging woodland. So you just have old trees and bare ground, basically. So that's a very long-winded way of saying with too many deer, you get a lot of biodiversity. Mm. And that's why we have to cull them. Uh, it's a hard truth, but it's just the way it is, unfortunately. Yeah, and it's a, uh, I think another hard truth is it's a way it's the way it is because of us you know we we killed all Absolutely. their predators 
So exactly. we kind of um, sort of in a weird kind of dark poetry, we have to become the predator that we killed. We have to take the place exactly. of the wolf and yeah. uh, you know other things that would would prey on them naturally. Not that and long it would, ago. Yeah, not that long ago. Really not that long ago. And it would be great, you know, God, wouldn't it be awesome to have wolves and bears and, and, and like these predators in our landscape? But it's just not, it's not a real, for this, for our, our country, it's just not a realistic option. It's too small. It's too heavily populated. Um, it's too much farmland. It's too, there's too many farm animals. Mm. Um, you know, you, you see in the States, there's just so much conflict with with their wolves and their bears it's just like the human animal conflict is is big over there and it's vast it's so much bigger than, than yeah there. um i actually had an argument with somebody once about calling calling humans predators mm. and i was like well essentially that's kind of just what we are we're just sort of dressed up in different different clothes now and we have like nice phones and that kind of stuff but yes yeah. where we came from yeah yeah we have you know historically almost always hunted and yeah um yeah it's i guess a a natural uh transition that a lot more people are making um into there is a kind of I, i've seen an increase maybe it's just maybe it's always been there and it's just because of the increase in social media but looking doing research for this episode in general my own at my own interest I have mm. seen an increase in uh, hunters and people re- trying to reconnect with nature by managing deer populations or hunting mm. for their own food. Um, yeah, that's really that's, interesting. Would you say that's something you kind of encountered as someone who does that yourself, a, a kind of rise in those kind of people? Yeah, I think, I think generally what I... I can't say I've noticed maybe an increase in hunters essentially, but what I've definitely noticed is a general increase in people wanting a meaningful relationship with their food, a connection to Mm. their food that you don't get from going to a supermarket or going to a fast food outlet, for example. But that's not to say it has to be hunting. It could just be like going and picking some mushrooms. It could be foraging. It could be foraging for mushrooms. It could be foraging for, you know, three-cornered leek or another green that you can pick in the mm. spring and summer. Um, and I think that's a, like what what society really needs is like a moderate approach. I so this isn't my opinion. What I think society needs is a moderate approach to food and 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 most importantly is a connection to their food because that gives you like a meaningful experience where you where you really like you respect what you're eating, you know where it comes from, you've had a hand in bringing it there um, and that it just gives people great joy and it's hard to describe quite what it is but when you go and do those things it speaks to part of you that that hasn't been spoken to before or it certainly does with me and mm. whenever I've had friends or family or I've worked with people that um that haven't that are new to that to, to foraging or to butchery or to whatever it, hunting or whatever it may be 
you can really see them engage in a deep way. And I think that's probably what you've been seeing is like people, there's a hunger for people to engage because it's, it's important, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've grown up eating meat, uh, which mm. I believe is the opposite to you. You grew up vegetarian. Yeah. 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 I was just talking to my friends this evening about that. Just how it's funny that we contradict each other. Yeah. Yeah. What well, were you veggie since from birth or? I was, yeah. I was um brought up a vegetarian and and I think I I sort of turned can't well, sort of it was a slow transition mm. to eating meat because it's it's just a big change, you know. It's like you don't really like meat when you first eat it. Well, I certainly didn't. Yeah. Um, I think I was about 20. 20 years old when I first sort of started dabbling in the in in the meat world yeah mm. yeah but you I mean, game right you brought, yeah you I in game uh yeah we had um had a who is it now my granddad's granddad's cousin would come and he'd had a license for the local estate he'd uh kind of there'd be a knock mm-hmm. on the door we'd open the door porch would be empty but there'd just be a brace of pheasant hanging we lived in like suburban reading so mm-hmm. I mean yeah, in 10 minutes walk kind of town centre there'd just be a brace of pheasant kind of hanging up on outside the door and that would be Sunday lunch for us all um, and you That's know my mum my still knows the local gamekeeper and will kind of get um, yeah big chunks of venison and um, store them in the freezer we've always just known the right people on the mm-hmm. outskirts of our town and who have worked in you know on on different plots of land and we've always grown our own food in the garden and stuff. So we've always had a very considerate approach to food and been grown mm. and brought up like that. I think it really, obviously as well as me educating myself environmentally on the environmental impact of kind of heavily processed factory farming, my main reasons for switching to not eating meat is I wasn't at that time, probably still aren't. Um, I've grown up fishing uh, so that's mm-hmm. something that's a little different. I've always yeah. fished. I've always caught fish. Always killed fish. As even as a, from a, a young age, um, haven't for quite a few years now. But that's always something I did. Um, but apart from that, I've never. I wasn't prepared to kill anything, and mm-hmm. I didn't think to really put that kind of whole um meaningful relationship into perspective. I didn't think that I had the right to eat something that I wasn't prepared to kill myself. And at that stage in life, I wasn't prepared to shoot anything or slaughter anything. Mm-hmm. So I thought, well, what gives me the right to eat it if I don't have that proper connection with it? Um, so I just stopped. And yeah, and I think that's a perfectly reasonable way to feel and behave, you know. Mm. And it's, it, I mean, you've touched on so many important points there. Mm. Um, I think you touched on a great point about access. Like you said that your family... Was, we're very privileged in the fact you that were like really lucky that you just had you know somebody dropping off a brace of birds or mm. half a half a you know deer yeah. or whatever it may be and you and you were brought up fishing and and all those and all those things which is a huge part of this conversation it's yeah. it's one of the parts that's just like constantly ignored um it was very then, privileged uh relationship that i had it was a very you know we were very 
given a privileged position to have access to that. And I think that's a lot of people, you know, can make a lot of people shy away from the conversation mm-hmm. completely because they know that they'll never, you know, for a long time, they probably won't ever have that access or struggle to get it because of how our society currently works. And is Yeah. And I th- the more, the more people move into the city, the, the, the rarer it will become that people get a, you know, brace of birds dropped off or, mm-hmm whatever it yeah. may be um and that's and that's sad and it only perpetuates the divide between our food and nature and and that that like that circle basically because you know, if you live in a city a huge city like london or hong kong or new york or whatever wherever it may be you know you're essentially your foods is like part of this huge mechanized machine mm. um where it's you know, brought in from warehouses and delivered into a thing and you know all, all of that and so you don't have a hand in it uh where's i going with this but the you touched on the whole on the fish thing as well it's it's, it's that's another really interesting subject because uh, this this may be a generalization but generally people i feel people are like really happy to eat fish mostly They'll eat fish, they'll be like a pescatarian or, mm. or a vegetarian, whatever they call themselves. Um, and they'll go fishing, but they they wouldn't know they wouldn't touch meat or they wouldn't they'd never kill an animal, but but mm. I'd kill a fish. But it's like it's that's so wrong. Yeah, because, so because like the, the the sea is like completely devastated, fish stocks, they're in terrible state as plastic and heavy metals and all the rest of it and it all needs a, a massive rethink and it and people need to become more educated but it's not seen as like fish still aren't seen as like a sentient animal or being mm. or and i just find that whole it's just another problem <laughs> with the whole structure it's people would eat fish but they won't eat meat and they would kill a fish but they wouldn't kill a deer it's like well basically the same apart from the fact that killing a fish is probably worse for the environment than killing a deer in fact it almost certainly is um so there's a lot of conflict there Mm. and that's probably too big a subject for us to tackle on (laughs) tonight but um worth mentioning yeah no definitely i I um yeah definitely I I think it's it was something for me as well because I so I started being um full vegetarian slash almost vegan you know I still eat honey and uh again very lucky to have access to um some backyard rescue flock of hens so I get eggs from pretty much the most ethical source you possibly can um a friend of mine has some in their garden um, so I still eat eggs, but for, I was, so it's mostly vegetarian, um, or, or fully vegetarian for two and a half years. And then I became quite unwell and we couldn't mm-hmm. figure out the source of it. So I was like, right, I've always fished. I might have to eat a bit of fish when I go down to Cornwall. At that point I was just traveling to and from Cornwall, um, seeing friends, not living here. Um, so I was like, you know, just might have to start eating a bit of fish. And then I went another four 
almost it's almost five years now, so it's almost been uh six yeah, it's almost been seven years of not eating land based meat. Wow. And yeah. it's so a little bit of fish here and there, but not heavily at all. And it def there definitely was that bit of I recognise that fish were sentient beings as well as mm-hmm. I've I've always grown up with that deeper relationship with the ocean and, and taking food from the ocean and giving back to the ocean rather than the land. I didn't really have a good relationship with land-based creatures or yeah. or their meat. Um, so I had an easier time of it going, yeah, I'll eat that fish that my mates just plucked from the sea off his boat. Yeah. Um, I just won't eat that deer that some per- random person I don't know has gotten shot. Mm. Um, and I think it was only recently in the last two years of moving to university ironically in a in a region of the country that has a very deep relationship with the land and the sea down in Cornwall yeah that I became a student and realized I can't really afford to live uh, a, a nice ethical lifestyle right now until I so I, I was just eating a lot of kind of just supermarket foods and a lot of obviously being veggie slash vegan I was uh, eating a lot of processed foods yeah and um again became for more ill and uh mm-hmm. I'm not going to get into it because it's a it's the it's like kind of personal information but b it's, it's a little <laughs> yeah, gross of course but it's also a little a little yeah. uh just something I don't want to talk about on the podcast but I can't yeah, it's fair enough um lots of tests including speaking to vegan activist friends Mm-hmm. um physiologically i can't be i shouldn't be for a healthy continuation of my me being healthy for the, for the long term mm-hmm. future I, I need to eat animal-based proteins um yeah. and that's been a really hard thing to come to terms with but i think what has made it easier is being open to conversations and having a deeper relationship with the land Whereas um, I think a lot of people either close their mind to these sort of conversations or just aren't, you know, are, are brought up in an area that they aren't in a position to have that relationship with nature, which mm. is, is a shame. Um, it's, a, it's a big shame. Yeah, well, firstly, you know, uh, I'm sorry to hear that you've been unwell, but I, I think, unfortunately, that's is often the way mm. with this new very divided like dietary system that we have i mean my brother's a vegan he has been a vegan for i don't know some time now maybe five or six years and i don't think he'll listen to this podcast because i won't tell him about it but in that time he's definitely looked more unhealthy <laughs> mm. um and he complains of headaches and and all these things and i'm like well you just eat so much processed food. Mm. Um, and as we all know, processed food is just, it's not good for you. You know, you don't really know what's in it. You don't know what chemicals are being added. You don't know where exactly. You know, the subject's huge, but it's like eating a really poor Frankfurter or or like a really bad cheese, you know, it's like, it's got loads of stuff in it that's been developed in a factory and it's not very good for you. Yeah. Um, in fact, I was going to, when you uh, first contacted me, 
and we were talking you said you were going to ask about how i transitioned into a thing into a mm. veg- from a vegetarian and um i remembered this very fortunate experience i had working on a conservation project in malaysia i was still a vegetarian at the time and there was a guy one of our guides there was 60 he had a malay name which i sadly can't remember it's a long time ago and he was absolutely ripped he was like this glistening example of a human and he made everybody feel completely inadequate um and i remember sort of trying to talk to him and he, he we would eat together and that kind of stuff and at the time i was a vegetarian i would eat mock duck and all these other weird things that we had to mm bring in from nestle and and he just ate ate um rice vegetables and then the, the meat that they hunted from from the jungle which is obviously a controversial subject anyway game meats in those countries is controversial mm. um but i remember thinking back then god you know i'm definitely not doing some something right with my diet here because I don't feel like that guy looks mm. and he definitely feels a lot better than I do. Um, so I think there is definitely something in like some people don't uh, react well to a vegan diet. Mm. Some people do, some people can handle it and it's fine. Um, I think the other thing to mention about, you know, I'm not a dietitian or a nutritionist or any of those things or a doctor for that matter. But um, I think it's important to just remember that a lot of those foods, those, those vegan foods, whether it be vegan cheese or uh, pulled vegan pulled pork or, or chicken, it's like, it's none of it's local. Mm. None of it's being produced locally at least not what I've seen. I mean, pulled pork is jackfruit, which is in, usually grown in Indonesia. Under And under what conditions are they grown? Is it grown with good welfare to the workers? Is it grown, have they cut virgin forests down to grow the jackfruit? Or what about the avocados? Well, we know that they're hugely water, like a huge water demand for avocados. And you can't grow an avocado plantation without killing loads of animals to stop them eating or insects mm. to stop them damaging. So it's like, there's such a big conversation to be had around the vegan plant-based carnivore, vegetarian, whatever you want to be diet, because like, no, there's no, there's no right or wrong. I, I truly believe there's no right or wrong way. I think the only mm the better way <laughs> is like a moderate diet where you eat uh, local food uh, where you can, if you can afford it, you know, like sometimes it's more expensive, which is tough. Um, or maybe you can like enter into a barter agreement. Uh, where was I going with that? Yeah. So yeah, lo- local food, locally produced, locally grown, as opposed to things that have been flown in from you know the far corners of the earth it just it just makes a lot more sense personally yeah, yeah i mean there is uh there's definitely right uh, you know no uh wrong answer i think i i know a guy who has been vegan for i think about 30 years mm. and as far as i know he's 
incredibly healthy, very strong. Right? Mm-hmm. You know, some people, uh, in my opinion, in my experience, minority of people, it just works for. They can just mm-hmm. eat healthily, eat well, eat naturally, and it works. A lot of people, sadly, it just doesn't. Um, as I've seen from personal experience, it just doesn't work out. Mm-hmm. And some people just aren't aren't built for it genetically or physiologically. Uh, as a, you know, you gave the disclaimer, so I will too. I'm not a dietitian, nutritionist <laughs> yeah, yeah. either. Um, I'm just somebody who's been through this. Um, who doesn't want to eat meat, but if I, you know, ever had to in the future, I think the only thing that I could willingly go back to is game, mm-hmm. um, deer especially. Uh, obviously, there's there's certain areas of the game in uh, game bird industry which is a whole other whole other podcast topic yeah um, don't which, don't get me started on which, that I'll, uh, I'll be with you on that one i'm sure yeah um but we've uh, ooh, four minutes and 23 seconds left because of my wonderful lack of Zoom, <laughs> uh, subscription so we don't have long only a couple of questions left but can i hang up and resend a new link if that's right yeah sure man. cool sure. i'll be about five minutes yeah. Cool. Thank you. Finish my carrot. <laughs> and we're back. Cool. Yeah, we're back. Awesome. Yeah, I think that little uh, one day I'll have to just take the plunge and get a premium subscription. But uh, <laughs> I can't. Does that mean we've been right speaking now. for forty minutes then? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Time, time has Shit. flown. Um, time flies. I'll, I'll have to do a little, little bit of editing. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So. Yeah, we. I mean, as I said, as I was saying before, we got cut off. Um, it really does vary. Some people mm-hmm. works for, some people just doesn't. Um, we're not, you know, here to convince people one way or the other. I exactly. think the important thing is to just be open to having a conversation about building a deeper relationship with your food and therefore nature through the and and just accepting the possibility that not everyone can adhere to certain standards of of eating and health Completely. um because it just doesn't work for everyone in terms of we've we've kind of steered onto the food tangent um mm-hmm. we, like sort of you turn back onto the actual uh, looking at nature That's and natural connection because we are obviously part of nature a lot of us know this um you know we're not a superior being we're not separate from we shouldn't be um how can you try and describe i know it might be a difficult thing to do but <laughs> try and describe your relationship with nature and with the deer so obviously you you know part of the your job is to to kill them to cull them um but when you're out stalking or when you're out um just sort of watching them or, or being with them um pr- before or after a, a a take is it is it called a take am i right is that the right terminology yeah you can say that um yeah i mean there's not a right or wrong way i mean yeah taking a deer or whatever it may be so yeah i think before or after that or just around deer um describe your relationship and i mean you're right it it is it is difficult and it's difficult to it's funny i just um literally this evening just posted something on one of my instagram platforms kind of about this touched Mm. on 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 some of these subjects and it is 
it's difficult you know it's difficult to talk about it's difficult to talk about that don't like animals being harmed um and it's difficult for me as well because well I, I'll, I'll start again i think it's difficult because i'm conflicted because i love deer i love watching them i love the, the, what they add to the landscape uh i'm interested in in how they behave and i spend a lot of time around them observing them learning about them um and to then go and take as you say one of them off the landscape it can be not always but it, it, it sort of depends on, on on where you're at in yourself but it can be quite a difficult um experience it's certainly emotional and even more emotional like the newer you are to it so when when you're when i certainly when i was starting out my sort of hunting journey um i had quite a quite a rough i'd say uh person taking me under his wing and i found it all quite um not shocking but it was definitely jarred definitely jarred like how the way they spoke about certain things and it was all very rough and real and that was tough for me and i am um, try to be far more what's the word not gentle but just kind of respectful i suppose um mm. and it's i like i take it quite seriously i take the act of killing that deer or a deer pretty seriously i always uh take a moment when it's dead or dying uh to you know just like sit next to it and it's not a long minute it's not like a long drawn out mm. moment but it's it's just like a quick show of respect and care before it's moved from an animal into like a, a food source um and it's funny there's like this when when you go from that um it's a dead deer in front of you and oh my god it's beautiful and this is really sad and the whole thing can be quite you know visceral it's like a visceral experience there's a lot going on there's a lot of emotion it can be quite uh shocking and i'm not really not selling this but it can also <laughs> it's not always that bad but sometimes it can be traumatic i'm just gonna mm. like lay it out there uh and it's not for everybody um and sometimes it's not but um when it goes from that deer to like having its skin off and it's just like a, a bare carcass and it just looks like a bit of meat that you get in the supermarket it's amazing the transformation in your emotions you're like it it's primarily you're suddenly like this is food it looks delicious i can't wait to cook that haunch or have mm. that back strap or or whatever it may be um so in summary to your question i am continuously conflicted and questioning the way uh i behave and process and is it ethical is it not ethical there's like a constant conversation i have with myself around yeah. 
uh, dear. And I wonder if one day uh, we don't have millions of deer running around this country and they're like, let's say, suddenly endangered. You know, how would I feel then? Would I still want to go and hunt? Would I still want to eat meat? It's like it puts a completely different spin on it. But, you know, we're not there, thank God. Um, we're on completely the other side of it. Um, so I think that's kind of where I'm at. But I, I think essentially I spend a huge amount of my time invested it financially with my time and emotionally with deer and, and nature and observing other things because you're not just there like staring at hundreds of deer it's, sometimes you go there and you see absolutely nothing but you know a few wrens in the tree that you're sat sat, sat next to or whatever it may be so you, you see a lot of nature and you get you see a lot of things that other people would never see um which is wonderful and all part of it and i think it's it's easy for those things to be uh forgotten certainly by animal activists or animal rights people or plant-based or whatever it may be i think those things are, are quite easily forgotten but you know i'm a i'm a lover of of uh, animals and nature and and all and that i'm afraid comes with a conf with a confliction because i also kill them um but mm. then I'm ranting again, but then we, we, we all do in, in some way. It's just that this is, could be controversial, but I consciously take an animal's life. I've made a conscious decision. Mm. I've, I've, I'm emotionally attached. I'm emotionally engaged. Um, I work hard. I learn, I, you know, study towards all these things. Um, mm. Whereas somebody that might, be plant-based and just eat you know whatever it may be avocados for protein and fats and da, 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 or you know cereals they also are involved whether they like it or not in we're going back to food aren't we mm. wasn't meant to do that but it's anyway true. they uh they're on they're on a different side of it and i i just feel like it's important to make those conscious decisions um i'm not going to rant but uh that's that's the connection and it does come back to food because essentially that's what we're that's that's the whole thing of it isn't it because we're putting food on the table it's not just aimlessly killing deer because there are too many of them um so it's unavoidable to move to move it back to the sort of food conversation um mm. but it's an engaging subject for sure and like i've said a couple of times already it's it's conflicting it's conflicting yeah i i really can't imagine because i you know as as we speak currently um whether or not this may have to change in the in the future um i don't eat meat so i mm -hmm. I, I still don't eat meat today um had some had some eggs and today but i i don't have haven't had any meat in quite a mm -hmm. while quite a number of years now mm -hmm. um as i said earlier that will for reasons and best unexplained probably change <laughs> in the near future mm -hmm. um but i don't think i have because i i i knew this day would come for a long time because i've kind mm. of been in denial about it i've not felt well for a, a good few years 
So I've done a lot of reading and a lot of listening and a lot of watching and a lot of talking. And I don't think, you know, once you take away all your training and all your accreditations and all your kind of official uh, woodland management terms for it, mm. I don't think what um, what you do and what your colleagues do and friends do there's no real greater connection that we can have with nature or no greater way to get back to um the people we were sort of mm-hmm. I don't know two or three thousand years ago in this country or on this land yeah. than what you do um there's nobody who can claim to be completely connected with nature and intertwined with the natural order of things um as they have been for thousands of years without trying to you know go out and and take their own food in or or collect their own food in and whether or not that's meat or just or foraging um yeah i've got a lot of thoughts on it as you probably yeah but that's my main one is i don't think um anyone can really claim to have as great a connection with the wild as people who have to take a life to be part of it Mm. yeah and i think that's my my girlfriend Ginny asked me the other day like what I was getting ready the night before going stalking and at the moment that means getting up at sort of four o'clock in the morning um if not earlier depending on where you have to travel to and she said you know why why do you like you know why do you do this why do you like hunting what do you like about it and it's a difficult question because like it's kind of rough you know you get up really early stand around doing nothing for ages um you get cold you get wet you get hot you get ticks you know whatever it's not particularly on the surface of it doesn't sound like much fun but it's the connection and it's that's essentially what it is what it gives you is something that you know we've really lost and we you know hunters these days are a a mere shadow of what we once were and were capable of um and we have all these amazing tools to help us be efficient and ethical and all the rest of it high you know high high powered rifles and things which are great you know it's a great tool um and it allows us to to take animals very you know very ethically very quickly um but you're right you're absolutely right there's a it's the connection there and i and i think like moving away from food briefly there's um but but staying on the nature based theme Mm. um you know people are now being prescribed what's known as the green prescription i mean you may might have had a podcast about it i don't know Mm. um but people are being prescribed by doctors time out in nature around trees because it's vastly improving for your health for your mental health and you know doesn't that just speak a thousand words just the fact that we're having to prescribe people time in nature Mm. yeah we've definitely lost a huge amount we haven't had a podcast episode on that yet um because it's more uh conservation of the mind through nature mm. so it's more of a niche uh sort of more abstract topic that we might cover <laughs> in the future but i've done first on a personal level i've done a lot of reading and to kind of forest bathing and the mm-hmm. 
the uh, sort of Japanese philosophies and um, theories, but also practice behind that. Um, yeah, and it's it's a fascinating topic, but it is also once you look at the core thing, it's a bit, um, yeah, like nature prescription, kind of an oxymoron. Yeah, um, quite a deep and kind of almost like uh, I was looking at what is the phrase I was looking at today? Um, cost of living. Obviously, we're we're going through a cost of living crisis yeah. at the minute. Um, that is a, a deeply depressing phrase. The fact that we have to, <laughs> you know, <laughs> there's really so much is. cost to living to life. Yeah, got to pay so much just to exist. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the same with this. It's like we've got to prescribe just to be in an, an environment um hmm. that we need to be in yeah i hadn't thought of it like that but it's it's, it's quite quite worrying interesting. Yeah. um and hopefully you know the more that people wake up to these kind of things we can start to build a a better um society where well, that doesn't need to be a thing yeah. hopefully in the future well i think it can also be seen i think it's important for people like us and whoever to to see see these moments and those phrases like the cost of living or uh, green prescription or forest bathing is a is like an opportunity um, because it's like oh like we now know that there's an issue in this area and like I can become empowered to do something about it because it doesn't cost anything to walk in a small park whether that be in london or reading or you know mm. in a beach in cornwall um you certainly don't have to pick up a rifle mm. to do that um so i think there has to be it's really important for for us to like look at those things as an opportunity uh maybe the cost of living thing is a bit different <laughs> yeah. um but uh, certainly with with the nature thing everybody pretty much everybody wherever you are i believe can find a way of becoming more connected you know even if it's just like picking up a leaf and finding out what tree species it is um that will connect you in a way that you weren't before uh, which which is cool which is really cool i mean when i left london uh sorry when i yeah when i left london to go to uh, tree surgery college down in Guildford I c- couldn't identify a sycamore and no idea no idea um, so yeah we can we're like we're pretty good at adapting and I guess that's what we're all gonna have to do yeah definitely I think so this is the last big question which yeah, okay. will need a really uh short answer because you kind of spent an entire episode answering it um (laughs) but just on your from your personal experience from your people who you surround yourself with um from their personal experience and just generally so even if you didn't eat meat just generally as a as you as as a person do you think it's possible to be both environmentally active and uh, aware and still eat meat. Such a big subject. <laughs> so cruel to make me be quick about this. Um, I think I could say something really controversial, like uh, I actually think it's you can only be environmentally friendly mm. and conscious of those things by eating meat. I 
almost would like to begin to argue that but i'm not mm. gonna get i'm not gonna do that i i but, do know your i i see your point though it's i think yeah. um it doesn't really need a massive argument i think it maybe just needs a brief explanation so maybe by eating um you know by being completely as we've said before connected with nature and by eating um you know environmentally friendly and active by understanding the impact that plant-based foods have and by eating uh locally sourced uh preferably game meat um i don't really think it's possible to be environmentally friendly and eat you know factory farm intensively farm yeah, yeah of course i mean but, uh, it's funny but it's, it's great that we haven't i like that we haven't mentioned uh intensively farmed meat i feel like mm -hmm. we all know that those that that's you know that's bad and it shouldn't mm -hmm it's like unethical and immoral and bad for the environment and all the rest yeah. of it um but that's not what we're talking mm. about um i think just going back to your question trying to be succinct i just think if we all try and be conscious of where we get our food from whether that's from a local hunter a local farm shop or like going to a supermarket and buying, you know, instead of buying apples from New Zealand, you're buying them from France or from England or more seasonally, then you begin to build a more environmental approach to your food. Uh, if you have a window box, you could grow some chilies at the moment. You could probably grow some, you know, aubergines in this weather. Mm. Um not aubergines. Do I mean aubergines? I do mean aubergines. Um, and I think all those small things uh, can add up to, you know, a good change. I don't think it's going to necessarily change the world, uh, as I don't believe the whole world turning vegan will change the world. You know, all all these, you know, and we certainly can't all just eat meat. Um, it's about making moderate changes that work for you. Uh, that make you feel good about your life, which make you feel healthy within yourself. Um, and that most importantly, bring you into nature. And even if that's going and picking up a, you know, a sweet chestnut to roast in the fire this winter with your kids or whatever, then that's great. Mm. Definitely doesn't have to be a bit of venison, but if it is, then that's, then that's good too. Yeah, that was a, a really good answer to a question that could have taken and probably you know, has taken, <laughs> as we've just seen, an entire podcast episode. Yeah. Uh, and it could take many, many, many more. Yeah. Um, this, yeah, you've you've done a really good job of kind of succinctly wrapping up um, the need for, cons uh, you know, controlled conservation of deer mm. and the wider biodiversity of both our food systems and our our land here in the uk um so that's what i wanted to achieve oh great well it's great to you know thanks for inviting me on yeah uh this is the last um with it well, this is the moment for my super regular listeners uh of which i probably only have a few <laughs> die <laughs> die hard fans um where i would put a little quick fire round, but i'm kind of in a in a process of re-evaluating that because okay. in many things some of the questions i i changed because of um new learned experiences of you know why those questions weren't great or a lot of the time as well with a topic like this it kind of 
to do something fun and small at the end, kind of trivialize mm. it almost. <laughs> um, but what I will ask you, because it's what I've asked all my guests uh, since oh, the God. beginning yeah. of time, is how do you take your coffee? Ah, black. No messing around. I I kind of guessed anyone who does <laughs> field work of any kind, and I do include deer conservation as field work, um, would just takes it however they can get it. Um, I mean, I am definitely partial to a oat milk flat white, but let's not talk about that. <laughs> uh, yeah, conversation for another time. But uh, yeah, thank you so much for coming on. It's been probably one of the most important conversations we're going to have here because it is uh, conservation and it's and it's kind of core and it's kind of hard hitting, the hard hitting truths mm. of UK conservation. Um, but sure. yeah, super important nonetheless. Um, it's been great to speak to you thanks again to Arthur for taking the time to speak to me today you can find links to his social media below my featured coffee today is from Old Spike Coffee this roaster according to their website and the conversations I've had with some of their customers takes pride in their sourcing of specialty grade coffee from countries of origin based on the principles of direct trade, quality and seasonality They also have a big social impact with a mission to help homeless and unhoused people get off the streets and trained in the speciality coffee industry. The link to their website will be as ever in the description. Now I have a bit of news. This will be the last episode of Coffee with Conservationists for quite some time. I have had to take a real step back and focus on university, my job and my friends and family as I deal with some personal circumstances. It's been a real pleasure producing and hosting these episodes for you over the last two and a half years, and I hope that I'll be back at it in no time at all. Coffee with Conservationists will always be available on a variety of streaming services, and despite me being inactive for the next few months or maybe even more, every stream, listen and review really means a great deal to me. As ever, thank you all so much for listening, writing, reviewing talking about my podcast sharing it um it's been really quite incredible to connect with everyone to have these amazing conversations to meet such inspiring people and virtually and in person and to really yeah build a platform for conservation education and communication it's been really special thank you